We are speaking in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I had a slightly strange experience when I looked at the readings for today, James and Mark, because the week in which I decided to prepare for today was the week where I was also preparing for the royal wedding. In the context of a royal wedding, reading what James has to say about where you sit and who might be important was rather odd and slightly uncomfortable for me. You might think, of course, that the royal wedding is far removed from the context of James or Mark. Maybe not so. If we'd started the story in Mark just a little bit earlier, at the beginning of the chapter, we would have read the story of not one, but two feasts. The story of Jesus, of course, and the feeding of the 5,000. Just before that is the story of another banquet, a banquet with a king, Herod. A banquet at Herod's table, lavish and earthly, wonderful food, a woman dancing, and a gruesome episode of John the Baptist's head being brought out on a platter. Herod had liked listening to John the Baptist, but not understood him. Herod is a king who is unsure of himself, makes rash promises, wants to impress, wants to be seen to be strong. He holds a banquet behind closed doors for the select few, for the high flyers. And then, with almost no transition, the scene in the gospel shifts to what we have read. Jesus, a different kind of king, with the disciples. They are tired and weary. They've been teaching and caring for others. They didn't even have time to eat. I quite like that Mark gives us this little detail. It's not just a crowd that was hungry. Jesus and the disciples too. So they tried to get away to another place somewhere, but they couldn't because the crowds follow. And then we have this wonderful little sentence that Jesus had compassion on them. I don't know whether you've ever felt that, that you know, sense of, oh, I really want to rest, particularly if you have children, you know, whether your grandparents or parents and your children keep asking you to do things and you're desperate to sit down, you find a moment to get yourself somewhere and then they come, they've fallen over and you feel that compassion and you respond regardless of how tired. Jesus didn't have to respond to the crowds, but he had compassion on them, so their needs. So see, we had Herod feeding his own need, and we have Jesus feeding the need of others. His attention is directed to the crowd. And he first teaches them, and then feeds them keeping faith and works together. The little exchange with the disciples is instructive. Jesus wants the crowd fed, 
the disciples quite practically point out that this isn't quite possible. Now, let's just think, this is Jesus we're talking about, isn't it? The man who caused a miraculous catch of fish, the man who performed healings, the man who raised the dead, but the disciples don't even think about that. They just count the money. They tell Jesus, send the people away. You know what? It's too much. We can't do it. The need is too great. There's a powerful message here because eating with somebody is quite significant. Maybe not quite as much in 21st century England, but certainly I grew up in France in a place where you don't actually call somebody a friend until you've had a meal with them. Not gone to the pub, not just had a drink, but sat down and had a meal. If Jesus had sent the crowd away, it would be a powerful statement. Not eating with them would signify something. It would be a break of the possibility of community. But the disciples are horrified at the cost of what Jesus is suggesting. This is extravagant. You can't feed that many people. This is beyond what any normal person would do. The disciples' response is very much everybody is responsible for themselves. Then they're outraged and they think, well, it's preposterous to ask us this. They feel overwhelmed. Again, I think, you know, many of us might at times feel overwhelmed by the needs of the world. I'm sure Mary Sumner did in her time. And yet, Jesus refuses to collude with the power structures of his day. He refuses to say, feeding yourself is your problem, not mine. So the, Jesus tells the disciples to go and see. You might think, go and see what? Telling people to go and see or to come and see is something that Jesus does quite a lot. People seem to have trouble with working things out for themselves, so they have to go and see. But that also means that to see Jesus, to recognize who he is, we have to do something, to move, to go where he tells us to go. In this case, the disciples had to go and find out what was available, which was a few loaves and two fishes. Now, as I was preparing for this, I asked my little girl, um, what do you think the story of the 5,000 is about, the feeding? Well, what do you remember of the story? She said to me, the little boy. Well, the little boy isn't in Mark, but he's in the other stories of the feeding of the 5,000. Because she said to me, the point is, mummy, the little boy had to give up his own dinner. And there's no way he could have known that it was going to come back to him. I thought that was quite a good insight into the passage, that unless we give up what is our own, unless the disciples started by taking those fishes and those loaves and giving them away, nothing would have happened. And then what happens is another feast, very different from, John, from the Feast of Herod. It's not lavish food, it's a simple feast, 
sitting outside a picnic on the lawn. No lavish palace, no silverware, but it's a feast where we're told everyone is satisfied, everyone eats plenty. It's a feast gathered around another king, Jesus, who prays and asks for God's blessing. A king who has compassion for those around him. A king who not only feeds them, but gives them more than they can possibly want. Again, isn't that a wonderful detail? That not only everybody ate as much as they could, but there were lots of leftovers. I wonder whether the disciples thought, what a waste. But no, there's a wonderful symbol in this, that when we choose to work with God, to give up what resources we have, God gives back far, far more than we could ever imagine. And here, the crowds are guests at God's table, and God provides. And so we have two stories. One, a story of Herod, the king who believes that the resources of the world are tied, that he needs to fight for his place and his privilege. The other, a king of extravagant love, a king of abundance, who ushers in an economy of welcome and openness, something that goes beyond human categories categories, a king of ultimate generosity. So putting those two stories, Herod and Jesus, together challenges us to think about our lives and ask ourselves, what do I believe about the world? Do we believe that God's ways are possible here and now, or do we believe we have to be rational and sensible at all times, like the disciples? Do we believe that everybody has to take care of themselves within reason, or that it is all our responsibility to look after one another? I was struck as I was looking at the website of the Mother's Union before today um, about your, the vision statement that's in bold on the first page that talks about um, spreading God's blessing for that talks about working for demonstrating God's love through faith and action, that talks about transforming communities. And I was thinking how important this word community is. In the text that we've read, it's not just that God fed 5,000 individuals. God gathered 5,000 people so that they sat and they ate together. Whatever the boundaries between them were, they all shared of exactly the same bread and exactly the same fish. They were given the same, and community was built around the king of love. The people moved from just being listeners to people who share a meal together. The detail of the little boy that we have in other stories also reminds us that this isn't just about grown-up, it's about the whole community, that there is nobody too small or too insignificant. So this passage isn't an easy passage, it's not an easy call, but it's a call to live radically differently. 
It's a call we enact week after week in church when we share the Eucharist together, which we're going to do tonight. In communion, just like the people gathered around Jesus back then, we share the same bread and we all share in one cup. We all receive the same. We come equally in God's presence as a people redeemed by extravagant grace. Communion calls us not just to receive in silence and consider ourselves with God, but to look at the community that is formed as we gather together. It calls us to a radically different way of living and of relating to those around us. It's a call to follow, not just in the steps of Mary Sumner, but to follow in the steps of Jesus. Even when we, like Herod, might be perplexed by his words, even when, like the disciples, we find the demands scary or incomprehensible. It's a call to live abundantly out of an experience of all of us being welcomed by the God of abundant grace. Amen.